Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely, and with me as always is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, June 21st, and today we're going to talk about some trendy ETFs and how investors in them might not be getting what they think they are, and then we're going to switch to some thoughts on the Brexit. So, Chris, why don't we start with the trendy ETFs, and just to uh, set the stage for why we're talking about this, Janus Capital launched some ETFs that are aimed at popular themes earlier this month. There is Slim, which is an obesity ETF. Fits, a health and fitness ETF, Old, which invests in long-term care, and Org, which is an organic ETF. And uh, I'll just, with that background, I'll kind of toss it over to you. Passive exchange-traded funds have come close to perfecting the low-cost, basic, kind of what used to be a Vanguard ETF and now has a lot of competition from Fidelity. So Janus looked at this and said, we're going to do something different. We're not going to just be low-cost and diversified. We're going to be... Uh, the company with thematic, trendy ETFs. My general thought towards financial innovation is you should pay attention in kind of century-long increments, and innovations that come much more frequently than that uh, can be and probably should be ignored, probably these included, except they're kind of funny. Yeah, so uh, as you're saying, innovations that come more frequently, that they're pretty rare, and in this case, these are spe- special products that are designed for one thing, they're designed for a type of person who wants to, uh, you know, trade on news flow mm-hmm. or invest in things they think they understand. And you know, the ETF or the index fund ETF has been perfected, right? Vanguard's got one with like a ten bips of expenses. That's been perfected. You can't compete on that. Nobody wants to launch that anymore. But these, you know, because nobody has a fat ETF, you can charge more fees for a fat ETF, and you can, if they're aimed at traders, you can generate more kind of trading commissions and everything. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think as you're saying, the financial innovation here, it's questionable. It's questionable if people need it. It's questionable if it add value. And I think there's uh, people who are investing in these funds might do well to kind of look under the hood and see what they're investing in because they might be a little surprised by what they're getting. You want to talk about that? I, I think so. Uh, the obesity ETF, the fat ETF, has 40% of its assets in just two stocks, uh, Novo Nordisk. Uh, an insulin maker and a uh, uh, Fresnius, a dialysis company. Yep, and then so another example, Fit has a twenty percent allocation to Nike, which I, I guess if you're investing in fitness, Nike makes sense. But you know, all of these when you think ETF, you think broad-based index diversification. Mm-hmm. And the people who are trading in these things, they might be investing thinking they're getting broad-based diversification exposure to fitness, but what they're really getting is a lot of exposure to Nike. And if you know Nike's down 10% on the day because they miss earnings, you're going to lose a lot of money if you've invested in this, and you might not really realize what risk you're taking. So I think it's very concerning in that sense. you want to go there? Or? Yeah, I, I would just say that if it's just arbitrary, I'm not that worried about arbitrariness. I do think that there's an element of perversity here, by which I mean these are first-level observation in a parimutuel market. These are just sort of trite little ideas in a world where when the trite little idea pops into your head, it's probably popping into tens of millions of heads simultaneously. So it's probably going to be much worse than random. You know, it, it's such a great point. And one thing, it, 
you're talking about it from the ETF level, from the company level, oftentimes you'll hear people who they'll come and they'll have these uh, great investing pitches and they'll be like, listen, you know, our industry costs are going down and demand are growing up. So everyone in our industry is going to benefit. And guess what? Everyone in the industry doesn't benefit. In the 1900s, in the early 1900s, it was so clear that cars were going to be the huge winner over horses. And if you invested in a car company, there were like 2,000 of them then. Today, there's two or three and you, you didn't do that well if you invested in just about any of them, right? Just because you can see the trend doesn't mean investing in it will benefit you. And the big buggy whip company actually has done fairly well yep, selling yep. buggy whips. Um, one of the interesting examples to that to go uh, off go, on go, tiny go. tangent yep. was when uh, Berkshire Hathaway, the actual original Berkshire Hathaway, came to Buffett and said, hey, we have great news. You know, yep. we, Everything's been declining. But if you're willing to put an enormous amount of new capex into this old rusty factory, we are going to be able to crush our costs. And Buffett said it's over or done yes. because our costs are never going to be able to go down low enough in New England. Now this technology is available because, again, it's a parimutuel game. It's a competitive game. Where Everybody else can buy the same they thing. They can buy yep. the same thing, and it's going to be a lot cheaper in Asia, for example, than it's going to be in New England. Great point. Great point. But let's uh, – that's a great point. I think it's exactly what we're trying to say. But why don't we talk about uh, another kind of – fund that we've looked at where it behooves investors to look under the hood to to make sure they're getting what they say. And the example in this case is the Hertz Field Caribbean Basin Fund, ticker Cuba. You've talked, thought, written a lot about this, so why don't you take it from there? Well, uh, first of all, uh, to say something about this, um, you have to be very careful when financial innovators and people are uh, creating something in order to sell it to you. Uh, One good example is when they name it after the country that's in fashion. Uh, We had shorted a lot of the Chinese... uh, SPAC codes in 2010, 2011, 2012, one of the first places I looked were companies named China mm-hmm. that were not import-export country co- companies. So in the middle of China somewhere, there's no reason to name it that other than trying to market it to Western investors yep. as an investment in their security, not as an actual company. In this case, the ticker is Cuba. So whenever there is a Cuban headline, uh, people just go and they just jam capital in this thing. Uh, Typically, the NAV might not even move that much, but the premium to NAV will spike to massive, massive premiums. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to quote you on this. Uh, This is a closed-end fund whose main appeal is its ticker, Cuba. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they, they advertise and all their literature says, hey, we're a play on the Cuban economy opening up. And when you look at it, the fund doesn't hold any direct investments nope. in Cuba. I don't actually know of any direct investments that there that you can make into Cuba. Do you know one? Go ahead. Uh, Imperial Tobacco, a 50% JV with the government's tobacco. Okay, there you go. There's one. But so this fund, Cuba, does not hold any direct investments nope. in Cuba. <laughs> what it mainly is is a collection of U.S. stocks that are kind of travel-related. 20% of their assets are in cruise companies under the loose kind of logic if Cuba opens up, there'll be a new port for cruise companies to go to. That's that's literally the logic there. Uh, there are a lot of infrastructure plays on the thesis that Cuba will need to rebuild and modernize once uh, the companies opened up. But again, none of the companies have direct exposure to Cuba. Many of the companies kind of have some LATAM exposure. So the thesis is, oh, they'll be able to go in there. And some of the companies, like there's there are U.S. home builders who build in the southeast under, I guess, the thesis Cubans might migrate to the U.S. So it's all very loose. It is a product designed to be sold. 
And as a product designed to be sold, as so many of them do, it has a huge expense ratio. You pay more than 2% of NAV for a broad baskets of stock you can buy yourself. And we've been very skeptical of closed-end funds, but closed-end funds with expense ratios this high, I mean, it's higher than your typical hedge fund for a closed-end fund who, on any reasonable time frame, investors in the fund have dramatically underperformed every relevant index. Go ahead. It's a combination of investing in something that is largely... Uh, uh, disinformation and partially theft. It's mostly it's mostly misinformation. Uh, the the, the yeah, high fee and this was even created at a time when we had our full embargo, so it would have been illegal for them to do the things that people thought they were doing that invested in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then so you know I try to I'm trying to end every segment in the podcast now with is there opportunity here? Right now the stock trades for about six dollars and thirteen cents. The NAV is about six fifty eight, so that's about a seven percent discount. Given the high fees, uh, you know, I think the stock would be a stay away at kind of close to any price unless you thought they could liquidate. But uh, it's definitely a 7% discount for 2% over NAV fees. It's just nowhere close to what you want to pay. No, it you would have, need to be a 30 or 40% it, discount the, to be even kind of uh, a wash. Um, the, real, and, the real opportunity, as you have done and as you mentioned, is sometimes there'll be a news headline, Obama going to Cuba, and this will spike to 150% of NAV. Yeah. So people pay a premium for the assets and shorting the stock on that. Being, is being ready worth. to short it, I think, is a big deal. Also, I think that if you have a terminal... Uh, Venezuelan collapse. Their uh, their petroleum company funds a huge amount of the Cuban budget, and if they had a negative Cuba headline, so in theory this traded at that huge discount mm-hmm. to NAV instead of premium, uh, there could be an opportunity in theory there in the future because it's not Cuban. Perfect, perfect. So let's move on to Brexit. Sure. Uh, and I'm going to quote you quoting Charlie Munger. Uh, Micro is what we do. Macro is what we put up with. So yep. I am by by no means an expert on macro, but it, the whole world seems to be focused on Thursday. England will vote if they stay in or leave the European Union. Everyone's calling it the Brexit. It's widely viewed that if the country leaves, it'll have kind of a negative impact on the world economy. We've seen research that says a Brexit would immediately cause an immediate 1% to 2% recession in the UK. Uh, markets have been swinging wildly on the odds of this leaving. U.S. stocks were up about 1% on Monday as prediction markets pushed the odds of the U.K. staying from 60% odds they stayed in to 75% odds. Uh, European stocks and British stocks are up about 5% since Monday. And this is all coming despite polls that show the U.K. voters are currently 44% staying in, 44% against staying in. So, Chris, why don't you uh, why don't you kind of take it away with your thoughts on the Brexit? Monday was an amazing day. I think a bet of about twenty five thousand pounds on Ladbrokes moved about ten trillion dollars <laughs> yeah. worth of risk capital. Uh, so you can come up with some benign and some nefarious ways that you can react to that fact pattern. Uh, but uh, in any event, I think it's unclear what is going to happen. I think that there is a lot of drama. Uh, take for example George Soros uh, describing in Maudlin terms how dramatic this would be if they exited. Uh, The one thing we know he doesn't believe is what he's saying right? which is if that was the case he wouldn't be he wouldn't be projecting it. I, I rather think that uh, it's 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 somewhat more likely that they stay. Uh, kind of a non-event for the market. The really interesting opportunity is going to be if it is a marginal leave. And if it's a marginal leave, I think there could be an opportunity on three fronts. Uh, one, it's non-binding, and the MPs, most of whom are for stay, are going to stay if leave is maybe at fifty-one percent. Mm-hmm. If it's a marginal leave, uh, two, the EU will just come back with a improved package, allowing the MPs to say that they didn't disregard the referendum, yep. but they accepted a new deal. 
And then we can have another referendum five or ten years after the patted uh, the voters in the head and they're thinking about something else for a while. Uh, and three, you can contract all the good stuff from the EU. Whenever anybody comes to you and says, hey, let's go joint in several, I have less money than you do, and let's use compulsion to commit you for all times, uh, given that, of course, you could simply commit yourself in the future to the parts of it that made sense, it would be reasonable, I think, to have a heightened level of skepticism. So I think that's all right. And ju just to summarize, your first point was the opportunity is if there is a slight vote to leave, so call it 5149 yep. in favor of leaving, markets will probably sell off pretty heavily. pretty heavily. And you think the opportunity could be to buy stocks on that day because eventually a small concession will be made and the UK will not be leaving. Yeah, if you, if you wanted just a handy convenience, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm halfway through saying it, so now I have to, uh, UVXY are one of the uh, kind of equities based on volatility could spike like crazy. And the idea that this could settle out in a number of ways would be a volatility short uh, it, on that. It's interesting. You know, it, this reminds me of a lot of things. We talked about Apollo education a couple months ago where mm -hmm. there were some holders who said, there's no way we'll ever vote for this deal. There's no way we'll ever vote. And then when the vote comes and the party who's uh, trying to get it approved realize they're losing slightly, you can toss in an extra nickel or two. And that's just enough for everyone to say, okay, deal's over. Everyone... The people who said they were completely against it can claim victory because they got an extra penny or two. Everyone else. So it, it reminds me of many senses of that. Anything there? Or do you want me to talk about opportunity? Opportunity. Yeah. So opportunity. Look, this this isn't really my area. As I said, macro is not really what we think about. But uh, I, we've seen a lot of kind of experts who think the British supermarkets could be an mm -hmm. opportunity here. Uh, so we're talking Tesco, which Warren Buffett actually used to be invested in, sold it a couple years ago, called it one of his biggest mistakes. Sansbury, Morrison. Uh, these have all been crushed in the past month. They sold off twice as much as the Britain's key insects, so they're off about 10% on in the past three weeks. And it's not really clear if a Brexit would be awful for these guys. It would likely result in a big hit to the pound. Uh, Goldman Sachs had an estimate out that said the pound would fall about 10%. And British supermarkets have been struggling with a lot of deflation in their food. Mm -hmm. So if the pound went down, Britain, Britain imports a lot of their food, food costs would go up. So the... British uh, pound going down might solve a lot of the supermarkets' problems. Uh, I don't think we have a position, but it's just kind of an interesting way to think about a hedge to a potential Brexit and something that could benefit from it. Uh, we've got about a minute left. Anything else you want to say on the Brexit? Or Most strong, dramatic reactions are overreactions. Mm -hmm. Number one. And number two, I think people always are looking for a story, an allegory, a thematic import. And some things in reality have no greater purpose and no greater meaning uh, whatsoever. And so you just have to look kind of at the facts as they come in, but with an eye to a market that might be overreacting as if this was part of a fiction novel. Yeah, it, it's really funny because if you think about the supermarkets down 10% in three weeks, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not like this vote popped up out of nowhere. Right. Uh, everyone knew it was always a chance. And 10% implies some a pretty dramatic decline in profits. Like that's a really big move that's already been factored in. So it, it's kind of... If everything stays the same, why shouldn't they go back to the 10% last year? And if everything changes a little bit, 
there's no clear evidence that that 10% move was even correct. Uh, all right, I think we're about ready to wrap it up. Anything else you want to say? I have nothing to add. All right, great. That's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick, a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to email it to us at podcast at rangelycapital.com. Disclosures, none for me. Chris, do you have any disclosures? Not at the present. Okay, no disclosures for either of us. That's all the time we have today, and we'll talk to you soon.